Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer. Today, Father Lewis is going to do that. Okay, we'll use a section of the gospel passage from this past Sunday, the last Sunday in Ordinary Time, before we enter into Lent. It's from the gospel according to St. Mark, uh, St. Luke, excuse me. A, a, tr- a good tree does not bear rotten fruit, nor does a rotten tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For people do not pick figs from thorn bushes, nor do they gather grapes from brambles. A good person out of the store of goodness in his heart produces good, but an evil person out of a store of evil produces evil. For from the fullness of the heart the mouth speaks. Good and gracious God, please bless us in our hearts with the wisdom you would have us convey, with the faith you would have us share, so that from that fullness of goodness in our hearts as we enter into this conversation for the sake of our listeners, we would speak what you would have us say and help us in these ways to prepare for the glorious season of Lent that in turn helps us to prepare for the celebration of Son's resurrection at Easter. All this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Lewis. So, uh, good fathers, here we are. It's Wednesday, well, in two days, it's Ash Wednesday, that wonderful holy day of obligation. Uh, is that right? Is that <laughs> no, right? <laughs> not technically, that's not true. Technically. But I think at a popular level, it's probably considered, if you said list the holy days of obligation, oh, yeah. I think Ash Wednesday would beat out things like All Saints Day and Easily. the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> it might even beat Pentecost, I don't know. It's Pentecost, it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday, Sunday, right. Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, I bet they would probably say I that over it, even... Other than Christmas and Easter, I probably it's the third biggest celebration, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's a fascinating thing. Now, why is that the case? I want your speculation, Fathers. Why is Ash Wednesday such a big deal for Catholics? Well, I think on a maybe kind of a um, cheaper level, I guess, so to say, you know, right up there also would be Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday... Why? Because we get something. Yeah. We, you know, whenever we're going to get something, we want to be there to get it. But I think, genuinely speaking, too, on the spiritual level, you know, Lent is. I think you know what the wider world looks at New Year's Day as a chance for um, you know the uh, resolutions and all that. Uh, Catholics, I think, at least in my experience, really look at um, Lent as that opportunity. I'm going to do something above and beyond. I've got to, um, you know, I've got to prove to myself that I can do this. It's I think in many ways it's still centered on the self. I can do this. I can embrace the self-discipline, and, and I can achieve this, um, which, is, which is fine. It's incomplete, I think, but it's fine. But I, I think that's a real motivator for people to really um, want to be there for the start of Lent. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I, I, I think that there is a sort of sacramental element that draws Catholics, whether it's the, the candles and blessing at St. Blaise Day, the Palm at Palm Sunday, or the ashes on your head. I mean, it's just something that's, it's very tangible and it's memorable, and so it elicits all sorts of ideas and memories, including what I think Father Lewis just said there. I do think it's a time of new hope, of conversion, of change, and so I, you know, and some people I think, I think there's a significant percentage of Catholics who really love Lent. They're Lent people, um, and this is what the, the favorite time of the year. Which is, you know, again, I am not in that number. Um, <laughs> Nor I. So, uh, but I have so many people tell me about that that oh, they're just so looking forward to Lent. Um, so I do think there's some people who think this is really is their holy season. Yeah, I, I I'm kind of like that. Uh, I, the way that I would say isn't so much that I like Lent, but what I do like about Lent is that it is really, really clear to me on a daily basis that my identity is found in my in my catholicity because the day-to-day life that i'm living is altered mm-hmm. i'm not just living in the same way and the only reason for the change is my faith so i i like that it is like it shakes me out of a sense of being like immersed in the world or in the daily day-to-day activities that I forget that I'm Catholic. No, no. Lent, I remember. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing this because I'm Catholic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so fathers, as you have, uh, you know, it's it's we're we're recording this on the Friday before Ash Wednesday, so you still have a few days to get ready. But have you given any thought at all to what you're going to do this this uh, this Lent? Go ahead, Father Nagel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have. Um, my spiritual director is on that. And so 
Um, I was just thinking in terms, there's always, I always do some, it's how I break it down in different categories, right? Probably other people do as well. Um, some books, a couple books that I would, uh, spiritual books that I want to sort of absorb, read and absorb for that. Um, I do some classic stuff, you know, the things I do every year, um, just, just fasting. Uh, we all do our own fasting, and so um, there's, it's kind of like just classical stuff that I, I give up and, uh, that um, everybody does for Lent. Um, and then I, this is some prayer practices I like to I – like, I do like to – I think – I forget, one of you two were, were talking about this, uh, making changes in one life that's going to be permanent – so I try to integrate, use Lent as a time to integrate new habits, spiritual habits for me, um, whether they're prayer habits or whether they're devotional practices or things like that. And so in terms of just the day-to-day practice of the change, I do, I, I, I could do fall into that, that category, I suppose, of thinking this is a chance for me to, um, as Tom said, this is, I'm going to be changing my life. There's going to be some change here, and the, 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 the habits and the routines will change, hopefully to spring into permanency, right? So, so I guess in that, and I'm, I'm kind of with you, Tom, although I guess I don't look forward to it. That's my problem. I, I, I see it's good, but I say, oh, rats. Um, I have to change again. It's, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. There are parts of my life that have changed from past lens. They've, they really have sort of been the booster rocket, I say, that, that lifts them into orbit, a permanent orbit in my life. And so um, there are some just, just little devotional prayers I want to integrate this year into my life. So Lent provides escape velocity. <laughs> have you ever heard of that 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 concept? Right. No. I haven't, but I like it. Yeah, escape velocity. You get it. Is how much um, you know thrust does an engine need to actually push a rocket out of the gravitational pull of the Earth? So the gravitational pull of the flesh, of yeah. the things of this world. Yeah, the worldly. We habit. need we need that fuel to get escape velocity. So yeah. Lent as escape velocity. I like that. Yeah, yeah. big booster rocket. Nice. Yeah. Well, I, uh, what I try to do each year for Lent is is find a way to fast from something, but uh, but also to find a, a good thing to to bring on. And uh, interestingly enough, the things I bring on tend to st- stick with me. So I'm I'm looking for more things. <laughs> uh, the thing I try to bring on this year is um, make a just make a a, a a renewed effort to be attentive to the day to day sufferings that are coming my way anyway. Um, I don't have to go looking for it. It's already coming to me. But to make the intentional act of the will and faith to uh, offer that up and to, you know, to say a prayer as I'm offering up, you know, as I, as I notice this, you know, this pain in my neck or this, you know, this frustrating driver or whatever the case may be in that moment to turn it into a, 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 an instance of grace and to deliberately and, and with a vocalized prayer offer that instance of suffering up. So, that's what I'll I'll take on. I've challenged some of my um, you know parishioners and spiritual directees to to do the same, and even composed a prayer card to this effect. And and um, you know I guess the doctor ought to take his own medicine too in that regard. So that's something I'll be taking on. Well, I'll be giving up. I'm gonna you know I haven't I haven't stretched myself I think uh, satisfaction satisfactorily and probably since college in terms of giving up some for Lent. I, I one year for Lent I gave up meat all Lent. Bad idea, because that same semester I was taking a weight training class. <laughs> I was not getting enough protein, and it was painful. And um, so anyway, hopefully I won't hurt myself this year, but I'm giving up what I'm calling the five S's. Snacks, sweets, sugars, sodas, and starches. Ooh. I'm going to basically do a, wow, an Atkins of... diet. You know? Wow. <laughs> and I think that will stretch me. I, 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 uh, the, the sweets, if they're just there, like I'm pretty impulsive. I'll just grab that little thing of M&M's because it's there and I like M&M's. And I've got to work on that impulsivity, and I think this will stretch me in that regard. And I just love pasta, pasta pizza, and all those kinds of things. And so it's going to be like every meal. Well, starches and sugar covers everything. <laughs> so you're basically keto well, at this my, point. Those, yeah, are my, those are my basic food groups. I know. <laughs> Broccoli and chicken is what it's going to be. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's what my meals are going to be at the rectory. <laughs> yeah, with, with no barbecue sauce, though. I know. There, there's take the that sugar. Out. That's I know. Gone. Tons of sugar. Oh, hey. I wouldn't count that as sugar. In my, in my, <laughs> in my world, it's not sugar, it's like a sugar. Actually, I, you're a good Catholic father. Yeah, I, 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 no, I just had to, 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 to sort of parse this a little bit. I'm not getting rid of sugar per, completely. I'm just getting you know, sweets. 
So yeah, if there's yeah. a little sugar in it, there's sugar in everything, right? So yeah. um, I won't a little barbecue sauce. Coffee, I example. wouldn't really worry about a barbecue sauce there, Father <laughs> Lewis. I go for it. Oh, that's so funny. Well, I'll, use, I'll use straight uh, Can I go to confession to you, Father <laughs> yeah, I, am, I am the soft and, and, and really very understanding confessor. You're very St. John Chrysostom-like. <laughs> yes. Lion in the pulpit, lamb in the confessional. I yeah, love it. more oh, like I a sponge that, in the confessional. I've had that shoot. <laughs> Hey, so actually, my daughter, Mary Grace, went to confession to a priest whose first language wasn't English, and she was concerned that he didn't use the correct um, prayer of absolution. Um, she didn't remember the exact words, so I spoke back to her, okay, here's the, you know, the essence, right? Here's the form and, and matter of confession. Okay, you've done the form, uh, but did he say these words, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father's? And she couldn't exactly remember. So she was concerned. She was concerned that, you know, she had made this confession. And, like, did this priest really get it? Was he really paying attention? And then he kind of did this kind of made-up absolution. But I said, well, did he get the essence right? What would be your guidance to her? I had guidance for her, but I'd love to hear your guidance. Um, My guidance, you know, for the if nothing else, for the ease of – the concern and the temptation of scrupulosity to, to not just let it eat at you and eat at you is when in doubt, confess it out. I just go to another priest and do it again. Mm-hmm. I've had to do that once. I went to, um, I, I don't know who the priest was. I won't say where it was, but but the guy was just bebopping and scatting all over the words of absolution like he could just make this up. I'm like, you know, I was a new priest. I'm like, so I tried to I tried to give him a chance. I said, Father, forgive me. I'm, I'm new at the priesthood. Could you do that again? I'm trying to learn the words of absolution. <laughs> And he made something else completely up, and I just, I just stared at him like I didn't know what to do after that. And then he said the words of absolution. I'm like, oh, thank you, and I got out of there. Um, but uh, you know, so you know, fortunately, he did, he did it right at the end, so I didn't have to reconfess all that. But I mean, that's what I might suggest is just go to the next priest. <laughs> I, I would, I would say, yeah, I, uh, you know, it's kind of like this story about the the priest who used the wrong baptismal formula. And all the people had to be baptized uh, validly. And, and all the media took that up and sort of used it to sort of anti-Catholic bashing a little bit. Um, well, but a strange bunch of people as Catholics are. But I do think that there's something that said, hey, we're not making this up. This is real. It happens. And it takes a certain, you know, it, it, it has to be done right or it doesn't happen. And so I, I would say, if there, especially if there was serious sin there that she was concerned about, I would go say, you know, if he if he didn't remember him saying I absolve you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then I, I would say, yeah, I would go to another confessor. And, and, and you know, the thought I've had is I try to explain the sacraments, especially like matter and form to so like my students, for example, because like you see the note and they go, you know, the outside world and even inside our Catholic world, it's like, well, what's the big deal? It's a slight word change, you know. It's right. it's uh, his heart was so in the right place. Yeah, his heart was in the right place, but why? That's what why are we making a big deal about semantics? And the uh, the analogy I give is like, well. The matter is like the ingredients of a, of a dinner you're going to put together. The form is the recipe. Now imagine if we just change the recipe just enough. What's the big deal? Instead of, you know, bake the pizza at uh, 450 degrees for 10 minutes, oh, well, I just, I just slipped. I put in an extra, extra zero. <laughs> you're going to have burnt pizza. But such a slight change in, that, in the wording of that recipe has drastic con- uh, consequences. And, and when I explain it to the kids, it's like their eyes open wider. I think they get that because they help their moms make things, and they're making things. And you know, we got to be careful. This is a recipe, as it were. It it, it uh, and essentially, I, I what I what you fathers just said is what I said to her. Just just go to confession again and just say, Father, I'm not sure if I was absolved. Just confess again for the sake of peace of conscience. Um, but it raised a different conversation, which is just how seriously. God takes our cooperation. Mm-hmm. And to ponder that for a minute, like it took a, a yes of a creature to permit the Son of God to enter this world, right? And uh, I'm talking, of course, about the Blessed Mother's yes. And, you know, her fiat was what God waited on. God had to wait on that. And then I think about um, this very mysterious um, uh uh, in there's a passage in the Catechism and in some of the writings of John Paul II, and, and it, this isn't like new to them. It's not novelty. It's this idea that um, God has, from all eternity, in His mind, ideas 
of human beings that he wills to be created. But it requires the cooperation of human beings to be open to life, such that parents become co-creators. In their openness to life or not, there are ideas in the mind of God that never get realized. And I'm like, if I'm God, I don't do that. I don't put creation, the creation of a human being, into the hands of my creatures to determine whether or not that being comes to exist. What a mysterious, mysterious mm. reality that God takes our collaboration, our cooperation, our uh, involvement to that level of um, that level of involvement. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That well, just shut down all conversation well, right there. <laughs> the seriousness of each human life. I mean, it really matters what we do or don't do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well, we're up against our first break. This is Tom Kernan with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis, and we're reflecting on Lent, and as we're getting started for Lent, when we come back, uh, I'm going to ask fathers, I'm going to um, follow this very simple map out of how practices are connected to principles, but principles are often rooted in a vision, a way of looking at Lent. And we've already had one vision of what Lent is, and that's escape velocity. But I want to ask fathers about if there's a vision of Lent that is a guiding vision for you that um, is the source out of which the principles and practices of your Lent flow. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I am with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. Today on the program, we're talking about Lent. It's coming up on Wednesday. You have a chance to prepare. One of the things that helps some people prepare, fathers, is not only identifying practices, because people will do practices unconsciously, kind of like going to Mass on Ash Wednesday. They're kind of not sure why they're going. They just feel like they're supposed to go. It's what they always did growing up. Maybe something inside of them at a like a real background level is saying you ought to go and get ashes smudged on your forehead. Not exactly sure why, but it feels right. Um, so that's a practice. Now, practices are connected to principles in our life of faith. And so if we say these three motivations of action are prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Those are the three traditional principles that drive certain behaviors in Lent. But behind principles stands a vision, stands a, uh, a, a, a way of seeing the way that we're conscious of Lent. And I'm wondering, fathers, if you have a, um, a vision of Lent that is one that uh, sort of drives you to say, this is why I'm so um, uh, fervent about and rigorous in implementing these principles through these practices, if you're following what I'm saying, Father. I think so. You know, <clears throat> the, um, the, the grandest vision that I, that I try to share and, and repeat and cast for my parishioners is ev- absolutely everything that we do, no matter how, how gloriously and, and holy it is or, or how mundane We've got to keep it in mind, somehow this contributes toward the salvation of souls and the glorious majesty of God. It is somehow contributing to the building up of the kingdom here, and then we reach the and attain to the fullness of it there, on the other side of eternity. And the different liturgical seasons of the year can help us in the, in, from, from different angles how to achieve that vision. I think that Lent, therefore, the, kind of the, the, the uh, larger vision of Lent is, how does Lent prepare me for that? I think the answer is right there. It prepares. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days. For why? Just to beat himself up and prove to himself, hey, I did it. I didn't eat bread for 40 days. And uh, no, he didn't do that. It was so that he could be prepared for his public ministry, which was to proclaim the kingdom. And then he entered into the kingdom and and bids us to follow after him after he rose and then ascended into heaven. There was this larger vision in mind, but this stage of that larger vision was to is preparatory. And so if people are going, I don't know, it's kind of mechanical, I'm going to Ash Wednesday, get the ashes put in my head, and I don't know why, you know, maybe at least it, it begs the question, why am I doing this? And maybe that question why, when we you know, honestly and genuinely seek the answer, you know, to be realized, this is a sign that you've begun your preparation, and for what? So that on the far side of Easter... We celebrate with great joy the resurrection of Christ, but it's our turn now, especially with Pentecost and after, 
that we are the uh, the apostles now. We are the sent ones. We are continuing the good work begun in Jesus. And again, for what? To save the souls or do something to help save the souls of those around us on our on our march toward the kingdom for the glorious majesty of God. Very nice. I like that. Thanks, Father. You Father know, Nagel, what yeah. about you? You know, I was thinking a little, a little different terms, but I was thinking in terms of if you're looking at the the, the big picture of what's the uh, uh, the driver of Lent, and I was thinking you can really use, and I I thought about my own my own approach to it, and it came out to one of these Sundays. But I think if you look at like the RCIA Gospels or Year C Gospels, the ones that you have every you know, oftentimes it's it's the fasting 40 days, temptation in the desert, it's the transfiguration, it's the woman of the well, it's the, you know, the healing of the man born blind, it was the calling forth for Lazarus from the tomb. Those, you know, those are Lenten gospels were given, and I think any one of those could provide a, again, sort of a, the the narrative or the, the, the base uh, desire or whatever you want to call it, the, the big picture of a person's Lent. Uh, again, I think a lot of people, it would be the first, the first Sunday of, hey, it's the fasting, it's the temptation, it's the beating up, it's the defeating the devil who's trying to tempt me, that kind of, that kind of idea. I, or it's, again, I'm, I'm trying to be cured of my blindness or I, I, I need to be called out of the tomb. I think for me, oftentimes it is, it is it's kind of the, the uh, transfiguration, the idea of God is, this is who Jesus is, this, this, this glorious figure, and, that, and that we're being called to that. And so that's the idea of the transformation into, um, again, the beatific vision, that, that call to holiness. I think that's, a, that's the basic idea for me. Of, again, not that any of them are wrong or, or not valid, but I, I think that that's probably the, 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 the image or the, the basic idea that, that uh, the transfiguration represents and illustrates for me. Well, and you know, I uh, again, the reason why I'm bringing this up is that um, I, folks that are listening to us are different types. A lot of people are very, just very pragmatic and very grounded. Uh, like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Okay, I'm supposed to pray, I'm supposed to fast, I'm supposed to give alms. Give me three ways to do it, I'll go do it. But there are others who are like, well, wait a minute now. What's the reason for that? What does prayer do that's distinct from what fasting does, which is distinct from what almsgiving does? Oh, I get it. Prayer is about my relationship with God. Fasting is about my relationship with myself. And almsgiving is about my relationship with others. Oh, okay, got it. Well, what's the uniting vision that provides meaning for all of that? And, and again, there isn't a right answer. But there, for some folks that are listening, they want a meaningful vision to, to cling on to. And so whether it's, it's my turn to proclaim the kingdom of God for his glory and for the salvation of souls, or whether it's... Um, I want to experience the transfigured glory of Christ manifest to me in my life. Uh, those are, again, for some folks listening, those are really powerful ways of saying, oh, wow, that's what I'm about to do? That's really helpful. Now I'm all in. So, Father Nagel, before I share mine, I wanted to ask, when you used the transfiguration, do you then think about Lent as sort of climbing the mountain? Well, Was that part of and it? Actually, like, it's hard to climb a mountain. First of all, I have to say, it wasn't until you asked this question that I started to think about that, and that's what came to me in terms of uh, the transfiguration. It isn't like I've been using the transfiguration as my theme. It's more like, oh, I kind of recognize that, that now that you asked me that question, this is so. So um, I don't want to pretend like this is every year I get out of the, some, you know, the Raphael's understanding of um, the transfiguration or something. But that being said, I do think it's, for me, it's. L- you, you gave me another level of thought. I hadn't really thought of first of the climbing the mountain, although I think that fits in beautifully. It was more just like the idea of, uh, again, Ephesians 3.19, to be filled with the other fullness of God. Um, that idea of radiance of the human person, that that's what we're supposed to, we're called to sanctification, deification. And that's, I think, that, that image of the power of possibility, that's what I think is the main driver for me. Okay. So when I share my compelling vision, you're going to say, oh, come on, Tom, you're just cheating. Of course that's it, right? And it's Jesus in the desert. Um, and it, it for me, is not just that idea of Jesus in the desert, but very specifically the exodus. And so for me, Lent is an exodus. 
and it has that two-sided aspect to it. It's about being detached from the slavery of the Egyptians in my life. So those places in my life where I need to be purged and purified of my attachments to the spiritual slavery or other forms of bondage in my life. And then there is the the preparatory formation, the the engagement in order to be ready to enter into the promised land that the Lord has for me to enter into. And I honestly think of that in terms of the moment of proclamation in public ministry. So that somehow Lent is all about me being detached from sin and being more fully prepared to be fruitfully used by God in the proclamation of the gospel. So that that is... That has been, for me, my constant refrain. Okay, now that I say that, you're like, oh, of course, Tom, right? <laughs> well, I just let it be known. I, I mentioned that already, but as part of the larger <laughs> vision, Tom. But, but uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, the, the idea of desert tune, you said to be detached from sin, and it might even be a step beyond that. If you've ever been to a true desert, and we, we have them actually here in our, our state, I'm sure folks on the west side and here in Spokane, we we don't know it, but it, there's deserts here, not sand dunes and things, but but nonetheless, there's just nothing there. So you're not only detached from sin, you're detached from anything that could distract you. It is you and you alone. It's Anthony of the desert. It is him alone with God and with Satan, and um, and he's got to contend with Satan and he's got to align with God. But he can't say, well, I'll just check the... I'll just check the news feed on my social media today. I'll just uh, go lounge have by a the oasis. Yeah. yeah, I'll just lounge by the pool. There's no pool. There's no lounging. There's no lounge. There's nothing. You're so it's a separation from from everything. And to and to use that opportunity deliberately to be like, okay, let's reassess what is of highest importance here. These things don't matter. I'm in a desert. What does matter? My relationship with God and my my uh, lifelong contention against the devil. Mm-hmm. Father Nagel. Well, I, no, I don't think you're cheating, Tom, at all. I think that that's, um, again, in my terms, I would say uh, you've, you've taken that, that first reading and played it out and opened it up, and that works powerfully for you, and it's, it's perfectly valid. I, I, don't, I don't think it's, um, yeah, I think it's a beautiful um, way to enter into Lent, and I think many people that would work for other people as you said some other image would would work better but i can see how that one would be very powerful and it, it, i can see yeah actually that's um, that's a good way to think about it so uh, today in sound insight i'm with uh, father kurt nagel and father jeff lewis and we're reflecting on the reality of lent yes it begins in 2 days one of the things that i do fathers is every year at uh, Advent and at Lent, I have a set of teachings that I go over, or a set of outlines that I use um, that help level set um, for folks listening. Uh, what is the meaning of Lent? I go into the meaning of the word. I go into certain fundamental like scriptures and quotes from the great saints, et cetera, et cetera, to lay out more of what I just briefly shared with you all in terms of that vision. You know, So for instance, I'm going to talk about how the work of um, the work of being freed from the slavery is a work of mortification, and how the work of uh, spiritual training uh, pr- to prepare for proclamation is asceticism, and so how you can take a look at your practices in the light of are they mortifying, and uh, is it a work of asceticism? Is it training you? Um, well, one of the things that well, what we are going to do right now is we're going to take a look at some quotes that we've looked at um, a number of times through the years. And so the quotes haven't changed. But guess what has changed? We have. We have. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to read the same quotes, but from a new space, from the space where we're currently living, spiritually, personally, existentially, and all of that. And so um, I, I actually enjoy that because I, I can't even remember a time, Father Nagel, I mean, you've been on now for over 10 years, and... Um, even though you have like looked at quotes in different like special feast days and things like that, um, I don't ever remember you saying, "Oh, this just reminded me of the program we did last year or three years ago." It, yeah. it, there's always something fresh and new, even though we're going back to the same texts. And I think just before we actually look at the texts, I think that's probably an important thing for folks to realize, because we as Catholics will go back to. 
the same texts in a cyclical fashion, like the Liturgy of the Hours mm-hmm. and like the uh, liturgical year and the um, the cycle of readings. Right. So let's talk a little bit just briefly about that idea of reviewing and, and coming back to uh, the same scriptures and the, the same scripture uh, again and again, but also finding something new. What comes to mind for me is you know, something that Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And, you know, the idea that uh, there's something eternal about the, about the sacred word, um, and if, if we are gaining, um, if we are gaining uh, uh, new insights into that eternal word, A, that demonstrates the, the supreme richness of it, and then also be, you know, shows that if we, if we hear it the same way as we heard the gospel that was proclaimed three years ago, maybe that ought to be a red alert to us that, wow, I haven't really changed I'm the same person I was three years ago, and that's and that's not good because uh, we all need to be making forward progress and change to be more conformed to Christ on our way to the kingdom. And if we recognize we haven't changed, I think that's a bad thing. Uh, but if we recognize that this speaks to me differently, that in and of itself is an indication that I have changed, and hopefully I've made forward progress after all, and not some kind of massive backslide. But but it shows the the richness of the word and our engagement with it is always different. I think it was one of I'm trying to think of which saint it was. It's probably not the one that we're quoting, but you know, the to plumb the depths of the richness of the word is you know. Imagine if we exhausted the spring, and you know, we 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 went to the spring of water and we sated our thirst, and and the spring is gone. You know, that's. That's not what we hope to do. It's like, you know, sometimes diving deep into the Word is like trying to drink water from a fire hose. It's going to blast us, and it keeps coming. Or to, uh, to plumb the depths of the mind, you know, the more we go, the more we, the more we find more and more veins of, the, of the, the rich metals that are waiting to be harvested. And we can get those, but there's still more because mines are deep and broad and vast. And um, anyway, I think saints have said that, so I'll just leave it at that. I can't remember which ones. Nice. Well, I, 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 what made me what made me think of is the idea of preaching. You mentioned the cycle of scriptures, and and you talk about listening, but also as priests learn as they grow older, um, you the same scriptures come back again and again and again. And as Father Lewis says, if you have nothing new to say, if you if 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 you you only have one take on a scripture, it probably just means that um, you're not growing spiritually. There there's something there that's. Um, that's been stalled, it's stagnant. And so that's why the same idea in terms of these quotes from great popes and doctors of the church and saints, et cetera, that the wisdom which ultimately from them stems from the word too, I, I do think that there's, you're not going to, you, you can just keep on going back to the same ones because if, if they're alive with God's grace, it'll, it'll change you as, as you are now. So um, that I really say, not just in terms of these little scriptures that we sometimes and sometimes don't get to on Tom Curran's show, it's the scriptures that I would say, <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should read, you know, when you read the Bible, don't think, well, you know, I've already read Luke. You know, it's not like it's a novel where you say, well, you know, I've already done that one. I've read that one. I want to read something new. No, that's not the point um, because it will be new every time you go back to it because it's alive. So to, to both of your points, fathers, um, I thought of Nicholas of Cusa. Of course, you all thought of great 15th century cardinal who is actually very difficult to understand. Um, but he developed that concept of docta ignorantia. Learned ignorance. You have no idea how much you don't know until you start to know something. You know, the mystery increases as it it gets revealed. But he also had a vision for, or an image for, um, reading scripture. And it was baking fresh bread. And that um, every morning, you're going to go back and you're going to do the act of baking bread. Like, every morning, you're going to read scripture. And every morning, when you bake that bread, it's the same action but boy, that bread is fresh. Yeah. The smell, the taste, the enjoyment. What you're not going to get, Father Lewis, this Lent. No fresh bread. No bread. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, that idea, that image of reading the scriptures is like baking fresh bread. I love that image. Yeah. It's very powerful because yeah. I think everybody listening knows how you know, is, are, is there anything more enjoyable? There, there are some things, but boy, pretty high up in the, it's probably on everybody's top 10 list, <laughs> is the smell and taste and texture of fresh bread. 
Uh, let's keep talking about that since you're giving that up for Lent, Father Lewis. I'm not giving that up. up I'm not giving up bread. So it's just ours. Bring it on, Tom. Don't forget the warmth. Don't forget the warmth of the fresh bread. It's, it's not just the yes. smell; it's the temperature. Oh, oh yeah, it's okay. This we're gonna just surrender right here. This is definitely an Egypt thing, right? This is like the Israelites complaining in the desert: the For leeks and onions. Pots. Yeah. That's right. Well, why do we why do we eat this disgusting food, right? That comes raining down from heaven supernaturally. Why do we have to eat this? Why can't we get some All right, we're going to leave bread alone. <laughs> not me. I have I'm, one I'm, more I'm story to tell before we get to the quote. Go ahead. Oh, no, I said I'm not leaving bread alone. You, you do? Father Lewis is leaving bread alone. But <laughs> I I'm going to be eating bread all Lent, so that's fine. Go ahead. <laughs> that's it. I'm taking a break. I'm going to go to a break right now. And when we come back, more sound insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carn. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel talking about Lent, talking about fresh bread that Father Lewis has given up. Mm. Father Lewis, should I bring some to Mass, <laughs> like a morning Mass or evening Mass? and just, just... It'll be some of that suffering I mentioned earlier. <laughs> I will offer it up. Right. Nice. All right. I have, I'm going to reveal one quick story. So uh, the program that aired on Friday... I li- I went I was going over a list of suggested things to give up during Lent, and uh, something happened during the program, like as I'm recording it, and it kind of struck me. And, and I'm kind of a little confession here. So one of the things was when you wake up in the morning, get out of bed quickly, bow down and kiss the ground as an act of humility, right? And and I just focused on the word humility, and I um, shared how in 2018, I had followed the guidance I heard from a homily that one traditional Lenten practice was to invite and ask your guardian angel to humble you each day during Lent. And I was so like motivated by it, I said yes to it. And I did it once. I have not done it since. <laughs> and it, I had no idea that there were so many ways to get humbled. It was unbelievable. And uh, it was painful, but I grew in humility. And as I started to talk about it on the program, I started to talk about the importance of humility. And then all of a sudden, it was like, am I supposed to do this again? And I was like, I don't want to do it again. This, do I have to do it again? And the sense I got from God, this is all happening live on the radio, was, Tom, you don't have to. But if you want to, I'm inviting you to. Oh, that was really painful. So I said I was going to pray about it. Now, how do I, how do I get out of that one? Because if I pray about it, the Lord's just going to be just looking me in the eyes and saying, it's up to you. Do you want to grow in humility and be more useful to me and more fruitfully used by me in this world or not? It's up to you. What do you want to do? Has anything like that ever happened to you as you're in prayer and considering some kind of practice where the Lord's saying, I'm not requiring it of you, but I'm giving it to you as an option. Do you really want to grow in holiness the way you say you do, or are you just talking like that on the radio? <laughs> what about you, Father Nagel? Uh, yeah, I can, uh, I can relate to that, uh, or things coming to my mind saying, it's an offering. You don't, why don't you try this? Or you don't have to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't had the radio experience, but, but that challenge where suddenly I think, you know, can I get out of this somehow? Because it's, it is... It's, present, it's presented. It's not forced. It's simply a, it's presented and say, you, you could do this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm offering you the chance to do this. So I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. An example in my life that immediately comes to mind is um, I think it's an aspect of vocational discernment. And um, I had, you know, when I was in my younger 20s and I'm Finally, giving discernments, you know, it's serious due. I've got, I, you know, I, I knew at one point, at some point, I've reached as far as I can go on my own. I need to sit down and have a conversation with our priest at the time was our vocation director, and um, and and he presented to me that thing. He he told me much like you worded it. You now I'm, no one's forcing you. The invitation is there. We would like you to do it. And he put he added another phrase. He said, you know, in this case regarding specifically vocational discernment, he said, give seminary a year of your life. Well, whatever happens at the end of that year, I guarantee one way or another you're going to be a better man because you invested a year of your life in seminary. So uh, that's what sold it for me at the, at the last, you know, that, that was the last straw. That's what finally sold it for me to, to just do it. And um, 
but you know, if I if I decided uh, I'm not going to give it the year of my life that that he pre- presented, I think that I would still be guilt uh, plagued to this day that you know what if what if what if I just did that what if I just responded to that invitation and as scary as it might be or you know just you know, anything that's the unknown uh, can you know our reaction I think as humans is to be scared of it or to be alarmed by it in some fashion but but. Um, to let that block me from at least just giving it the old college try, so to speak, um, that would have been worse to go through life without having tried it. And um, and God doesn't, you know, as Bishop Daly says frequently, God doesn't impose; He proposes. And um, and in our freedom, this is like you were saying earlier, Tom, that uh, God waits for us and waits very seriously for our participation, and and will wait and will wait. God, um, you know clearly must want me to be a priest, hence I'm, I'm here, I guess, but not so much that he would have forced my hand or forced my will to do it to achieve that, nor did he do that with Mary. You know, the salvation of the world literally hinged on her fiat, and, uh, but even then, in that grave moment, he was not going to force it, so he waited in, in, in all seriousness for her participation. And um, uh, so anyway, yeah, I've, I've kind of felt that invitation, and it, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel forced or coerced or manipulated or even guilt tripped into it, but I just knew that the invitation is there. There's no reason not to, uh, to try it, and um, and I, I should, I should just at least try it, as as painful as it may be, and it was, and as humbling and humiliating as it is, and it was, um, but to to nonetheless try it because God's got something waiting for me there. Amen. <clears throat> I like that, just that whole idea of. Um... Um, when we make space, it's not only do we experience that sense of freedom, but we allow um, what you know Scripture and tradition calls our heart's desire. Right? It, it's deep within us to emerge, because I, the that which is our call is connected to a desire that's in us that's not from us. And when we allow that desire to be nurtured and grow, it brings freedom. It doesn't bring a sense of coercion or forced or stuck or trapped. And and I know that's what the Lord wants for us. And so uh, it's one of the points that I've made to my kids, um, whether it's the boys discerning priesthood or the, or the girls discerning um, whatever state in life, uh, religious or, or married, is that the Lord wants you happy and free. And that the vocation that he's going to offer to you and, and reach out and call you to is one that will lead you to freedom. And so I actually think that that's, that's powerfully connected to Lent because I think one of the things that Lent does is, is it helps remove some of those other desires that are so loud in our lives that it makes it difficult for us to let those deeper desires to emerge. I mean, that's, isn't that one of the great insights into the power of fasting is that it, it's diminishing the desires of the flesh so that the desires of the spirit might emerge more forcefully and clearly in our lives. I, so, you know, I, all right, I, we're up against a break. Um, oh, go ahead, Father Nagel, please. No, this is a break. I, that's fine. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break, yeah. and then when we come back, Father Nagel will uh, share whatever point he was about <laughs> to share on Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you today. We are approaching Ash Wednesday. And as such, uh, Father Nagel and Father Lewis and I are just talking about Lent, just sharing some reflections on the reality of Lent. Father Nagel, you were about to share something just before the break. Well, I, I was just thinking in terms of the not imposing but proposing. I, I think summing that all, all of what you both said so well, it's to, to think about what God is doing in our lives is a marriage proposal. When we use this word proposal, I think most people using that term would think of a marriage proposal. And so God proposing to us gives us that sort of seriousness of what he's offering. And any marriage proposal, it's not, if it's really a proposal, it's not a coercion, it's, but it's super important. And it's, it's coming out of love, and it's something we really have to consider. And I think that's the kind of attitude um, that, again, God's proposing this marriage of soul, or however you want to turn to... Uh, but, but again, the idea that, so Tom was thinking, okay, do I want to make that Lenten resolution? Uh, Father Lewis thinking, do I need to go to the seminary for a year? Uh, whatever it is, God is, is on, a knee, on one knee, and, and he's offering that to you. Um, and so again, that's the kind of attitude that I would take into that, all those kind of ideas of God's asking me to do something. Um, he's proposing 
it and himself to me. So I have another thought then around this, and I love that image, actually, though I'm frightened that he's down on one knee proposing that I give my guardian angel permission to humble me every day. Mm. That's kind of hard. But it's this. Uh, Carrie and I were talking this morning, uh, sort of during prayer time and then visiting over coffee, about Lent and what we're going to give up. And uh, Carrie was talking about fasting. And I said, well, why don't we just give up coffee? And she's like, whoa, whoa, hey, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Come on, there are limits to this. Are you kidding me? We're not lunatics here. She said, I, we're not fanatics. Right. That's I, a fanatical. <laughs> she's like, I will not be a pleasant person to be around if I don't get my cup of coffee. And I, and I said, well, I just have tea, just really strong tea in the morning, though I love my coffee. And... Um, and and then we just went into the conversation over bend versus break, right? So there are there are Lenten resolutions that will bend you, but if uh, you know there's the proposal that that God makes to us, but then there's also I think space for us to be generous in what we propose to God, but a generous entering into Lent, a, like a zealous entering into Lent, also has to take into account uh, human limitations. Uh, otherwise, we crash and burn. And that was Carrie's point. She said, I do that. I'm just going to crash and burn. Then I'll be just even just discouraged that I, I failed to live out my um, my own Lenten resolution. Any comments on that, Father Nagel? I would agree. Uh, I think that's that's part of the discussion. So I can drink though. coffee during Lent? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I, I that not, is my am... invitation. Thank you. <laughs> but I do think that, again, that's part of the discernment. I agree. Um, the idea of, but then God, that's why you pray about it and say, is this what God wants me to do or not? Um, and because sometimes it won't be. So, you know, you know, that's, it sounds good, uh, but it doesn't, I don't think that that's for me this year, especially if it says, I don't think that's going to work out well for me. I, so I, I don't have any problems with, because we could all think of the most, you know, again, we could all be St. Anthony in the desert and try to live his life. And it may not be what God wants for us this Lent. Um, so I, I don't have no problem with saying, yeah, sometimes the answer is no. Um, so, but then you're, what you're discerning is God's not proposing that for me. That was an idea, but it's not God's will that I do that, and to the best of my knowledge. Right. And, you know, that speaks, I think, to the importance of, like you did with Carrie and, and she with you, to, to talk to somebody about this, a confessor, a spiritual director, your spouse, or a trusted Friend that uh, shares your, you know, shares your faith and and can give you some honest feedback in these matters because, uh, yeah, exactly. If it's going to be something that's going to, um, uh, you know, just shatter you, then I, God's not proposing that we that we uh, destroy ourselves. That's not God's will. He does not flourish. Or he does not rejoice in the destruction of the living. And uh, but it's interesting to use the word term break though because maybe sometimes and this is refined discernment. This is why we got to definitely be careful to have a conversation with someone, but maybe there is something about ourselves, a particularly strong self-will or whatever it is, that frankly truly does need to be broken. And maybe Lent is that occasion where we are being invited once and for all to to break that self-will, whatever it is, but not to do so recklessly. Uh, you know, no one's saying that you got to jump out of a out of a plane at 10,000 feet without a parachute. No one's asking us to do that, but, but um, you know... Anyway, it's really refined discernment. You know, I, I I think that what I'm planning to do for my fast to this Lent is is definitely going to stretch me. I I hope it it breaks my self will to not be more self disciplined with regard to impulsive impulsivity with snacks and things. And I I do hope and pray that that will be broken. But I don't want to break me so much that I'm completely unpleasant to be around because I haven't had my my carbs that day or whatever the case may be. And you know, there was an, you know one of the other fasts I did do in college was. I tried to make a Catholic Ramadan, so we were not going to have anything to eat between sunrise and sunset. Well, bad idea, because Lent was later that year, so the days were longer. That was right around the time that they moved the uh, transition of daylight savings from April to March, so it was like brutal <laughs> torture. And I still look back at that, and like, in many ways, I was, I was broken by that. That was very, very tough, and I can still identify only precisely one fruit of that, and it was, I was on a recruitment tour with the... Um, uh, trumpet ensemble at uh, at WSU when I was uh, uh, down there as a student, and and me being very de- self disciplined to do this during that trip when we had lots of good food during the hours to eat, 
you know, I got, I got, I got mocked, I got teased, uh, but I think it, I, I hope it gave some kind of good witness. Um, and, but the rest of it, it was not worth it. I mean, hopefully it bore, you know, planted seeds and bore fruit in that regard. But that was something I would say, like, you know, almost broke me. I would not, I would not do that again. Well, and I, I like um, that these further reflections on it because it's making me remember that one of the signs that I've had a good Lent is that I fail. Isn't that one of the like one of the principal expressions of humility? Now that I'm remembering what it was to be humble daily, was that I found myself completely powerless or experiencing a kind of powerlessness in front of the very things that I had felt such uh, clarity and urgency and desire to give up, I was failing at them. And that was so very humbling. So it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted the success of saying, yeah, that's right. Look at all that I've done in prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Woohoo! I'm Superman mm-hmm. spiritually. And then to not, to, to crash and burn was, was in fact maybe the gift. So there, that's an interesting sort of dynamic to be playing with, that the, the, the humiliation of failing at the very things that I was called to do may in fact be the fruit mm-hmm. that the Lord was attempting to bring about. So, all right, well, um, that's our introduction to the quotes today. <laughs> and we have a minute and a half left, and I think we've actually broken our record of arriving at zero quotes. <laughs> so we actually have, have not even reached the very first one on our list of Lenten quotes, but that just means we're going to have a chance to talk about them on another week in our Lent. Hey, also, fathers, you saw that we have a book for Lent mm-hmm. uh, called False Mercy, Recent Heresies Distorting Catholic Truth mm. by uh, a buddy of mine, uh, oh. Dr. Christopher Malloy. We uh, started at Catholic University the same year together. He's a systematic theologian. He teaches at the University of Dallas. And uh, I I, I know, Father Lewis, you're going to love this book. This will be a book that you'll enjoy very much. I think, Father Nagel, you'll also enjoy it. It is hefty. It's like 400 pages. Yeah. But he is clear and insightful. And so I think you'll find this book will be very interesting. So, all right, you each get 15 seconds to finish up today's program. What would you say as we're about to launch into Ash Wednesday in two days? I might make an appeal to all our listeners, make it a part of our Lent, especially these first days of Lent, as part of our prayer uh, to offer prayers for peace in our world. I think especially given the situation going on and you know, the crisis in Ukraine, lots of suffering already and maybe worse to come. So please pray for a peaceful resolution. Amen on that. And I, I think that I would just add, first off, I guess I now have my Lenten book I'm going to be reading. Looking forward to that. Um, but also just a blessings that open yourself to God. He's going to do He's going to do wonderful things if you let Him do. So make this Lent a, a very graceful Lent. Amen to that. Well, thank you all so much for joining me today on Sound Insight. Pray God's blessings in your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.